Welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here with us today. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time joining us, we wanna give you a very special welcome. Please check in with us and this coming week, we will send you a gift card for coffee on us. We hope you'll join us again in the coming weeks. This is week one of our new sermon series, Why the World is the Way It Is. Pastor Spencer has a great message for us just ahead. And speaking of the message, we have sermon discussion questions and more online for you at schweitzer.church next. And now here's Corey with our announcements. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer Church. We're so glad you're here. I'm Corey Lucivo, Director of Connections. We have a number of great opportunities for you to get involved in the new year. We offer a variety of classes, groups, and other activities, such as pickleball and senior adult exercise and more. If you'd like more information about these, you can find us at the Blue Booth or at schweitzer.church groups. We also have a couple of new short-term classes beginning on January 17th and taking place on Tuesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. Be the Bridge is a discussion on racial reconciliation and what it looks like in our community. Pastor Jason will be leading this. On the same night, Bob Cassidy will be leading a discussion on his book, Claiming Our True Identity. Join us as we talk together about what it looks like to truly live as God's children. You can find more information about these or sign up today, either at the Blue Booth or at schweitzer.church groups. Now this one's for all the fellas. On Saturday, January 21st at 8 a.m., we're hosting a free guys breakfast for guys of all ages. This is a great way to start the new year off right, by meeting new people, eating some great food, and by hearing from two influential leaders, Nathan Cook and George Bjorkman. Sign up today at the Blue Booth or online at schweitzer.church next. And one more thing, if you have any questions, maybe you're interested in starting a small group, or maybe you just like to get connected, let me know. I'd love to help you. We're so glad you're here today. Now, let's continue in worship. Thanks, Corey, for those great announcements. If you're joining us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And if you're in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you in our prayer room. Just hit that prayer button and someone will be right with you. And now let's continue in worship. A mighty fortress is our God. Forward, never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood, mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our strength? 
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father together. Let us pray. Holy God, you are our creator. You are the beginning and the end. You have made us who we are and you have given us everything that we have. God, we thank you and we glorify your name for the blessings of each day. Holy God, as we face this new year, we know we'll be met with challenges. We'll also be met with some wonderful rejoicing times. And we know that you will be beside us every step of the way. Holy God, we pray that we might glorify you as we reach out to others and as we share the good news and as we do actions that, that speak so much louder than any words we could ever say. We thank you for the opportunities to witness, to care for others, and to do your good works in this world. And now let us continue in prayer by saying the prayer that Jesus taught us together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we are so excited to share with you how much your giving impacted our community. All of the offerings from Christmas Eve were designated for our community outreach ministry called Flourish. We know that lives will be impacted in this faith-based ministry thanks to your generosity. Your gifts exceeded all expectations and we wanna thank you for giving. We wanna remind you that there are ways that you can give, especially online at schweitzer.church give. Thank you so much for your support of ministries like this and many others. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with week one of our sermon series, Why the World is the Way It Is. How could I say there is no God when all around creation calls a singing bird, a mighty tree? Well, welcome today. My name is Spencer, and today we're going to start a new series called Why is the World the Way That It Is? So we're going to start the, this new year um, not looking ahead, but looking back, way back, all the way back to the beginning. We're going to start the year seven weeks. We're going to spend uh, reading Genesis 1 through 11. These, these chapters of the Bible are, are fundamental to how we see so much of the world and make sense of the world. And so fundamental chapters to how we understand the world um, and the Bible. Now, sometimes when people come to these first few chapters of the Bible, there's all kinds of questions that, that folks start to ask or start to think things like, you know, did, did God really create the world in six days? Is, is Adam and Eve, were they, were they real people? Did the, did the flood really cover the whole earth? And so sometimes people get distracted by those kinds of questions and debates start to arise about, about how to read all of these first few chapters in the Bible. And, and you know, for, for me, one of the things when we come to these, these chapters of the Bible as we go through this series is, those kind of questions, we'll deal with them a little bit as we go through the series, but honestly, those kinds of questions aren't all that interesting or all that helpful to me. Um, instead, what we want to really be focusing on is, is not these debates about how we read and, and understand these kinds of things, because good Christians and faithful Christians who love God, read the Bible, take it seriously, can debate those kinds of things all day long. But, but instead, what I want us to catch is this big picture message that, that the first few chapters of the Bible are teaching us about how to understand the world. I think about these first few chapters of the Bible like this. Um, I have terrible vision. So I wear contacts and at nighttime I, I, have, I put on glasses and, and sometimes I forget to bring my glasses with me when I take my contacts out. And so I'll, I'll take out my contacts in the night and I don't have my glasses and so I can't find them. Everything's blurry and I'm looking around the, the room and I'm, I can't find my glasses. I used to have clear framed glasses. I had to get rid of them because I could never find them. But sometimes I even have to call for help. And so I have to call Abby, my wife, to come help me. And, and I can tell she's a little bit annoyed by this when I forget to bring my glasses with me. But finally, I, I find my glasses and I, and I put them on. And it's like, oh, now I can see clearly. This is how I think about these first few chapters of Genesis. They help us see the world with so much clarity. And that's my hope for this series. Because life is confusing. The world is confusing. How we uh, measure ourselves, it's confusing. And so, and so as we look at these first few chapters of the Bible, my hope is that we're going to see some things with more clarity. 
So today we're getting this started. We're at the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter one, verse one. Here's how it goes. In the beginning, God. Now we're going to pause here. We're going to read 31 verses today, but we're, we're, going to, we're going to pause here four words in because these first four words are so incredibly crucial to understanding the Bible, to understanding your life in the beginning, God. And I know there's a temptation to rush past these first four verses, to run into the rest of the chapter, which we are going to read, because the rest of the chapter is all about how God creates. And so you, you want to get past this to, to, um, to, to get to where the action is. But if we pump the brakes on this, there's just so much to learn from these first four words. In the beginning, God. God has always been. God will always be. God is separate and different from us. He is he's separate from creation. There's nothing greater than him because, because his existence has always been. God exists outside of space and outside of time. Uh, theologically, the, the way we describe this, we have a word for it. We say that God is transcendent. That is that God transcends space and time. He transcends everything that we understand. He transcends, he is greater than than all that we could understand and know or possibly know. And this point right here, it is so incredibly crucial. And, and it's one of those points that when you understand it, it's like putting glasses on and you're going to start to see things a bit more clearly. But, but people get confused on this quite a bit. We've all, we've all seen how this plays out. Um, someone grows up in church, they spend their, their life in church, they learn the Bible, they learn the stories of the Bible, but, but over time they, they, they graduate from high school, maybe they go off to college and they take like a freshman science class and, and now they come home with all these questions of like, oh my goodness, is, is Genesis 1 even real? Did God really make everything? Is, is, how, how could this possibly be? It just seems like a myth and they have all these questions coming about and I can't help but think that one of the reasons that folks begin to have all these questions is because they forget these first four words of the Bible, um, in the beginning, God. Now, I don't want to get into this like science and faith debate today because I don't think that's all that helpful or, or really interesting. And I know lots of people will take Genesis chapter one and try to dissect it in order to fight Darwinian evolutionary theory or, or vice versa. And I don't, I don't think that's all that, that helpful or interesting of a debate because I think that that debate is missing um, the truth that we learn in these first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, that God is transcendent. I've known people, I bet you have as well, who say things like, you know, you can't prove God's existence, and so therefore I, I don't believe. And uh, sometimes Christians will try to refute that, and so they'll, they'll come up with all kinds of uh, reasons why you should believe in God based on the logic and the tools of science and and again, that, that's a fine thing to do, but you're missing the, the truth that comes out of this, these first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, that God is transcendent. You know what I say when people tell me that you can't prove God's existence, therefore I don't believe, and this is kind of a simplistic approach to this, but, but I tend to, to, to say to folks, it's like, well, yeah, you can't prove God's existence. And, and that's kind of the point, because I'm thinking to myself, like, what kind of proof are you looking for in order to prove God's existence? I mean, if you could use science and the scientific method to prove God's existence, then 
God is no longer transcendent. If you can use the tools of this natural world to measure one who exists outside of this natural world, then then God is no longer transcendent and that therefore is no longer God that you've proved or disproved because that's like illogical. It just doesn't make sense because you've lost this transcendence of God. The great philosopher Abraham Joshua Heschel says it like this. He says, um, God is not a scientific problem and scientific methods are not capable of solving it. And the reason why scientific methods are not capable of solving it is their success of their application in positive sciences. In other words, they, they prove things. He goes on, he says, the fallacy involved in this analogy is that of treating God as if he were a phenomenon within the order of nature. The truth, however, is that the problem of God is not only related to the phenomenon within nature, but to nature itself. Not only to concepts within thinking, but to thinking itself. It is a problem that surpasses nature to what lies beyond all things and all concepts. And the moment we utter the name of God, we leave the level of scientific thinking and enter the realm of the ineffable or the, or the holy. So let me say that a bit more briefly and a bit more simply. In the beginning, God. God is transcendent. He is utterly different. He is greater than everything else. He is beyond everything else. He was before everything else. He exists outside of space and time and what we can know or possibly know. And so why in the world would we think that we could use the tools of the natural world to measure one who does not exist according to the natural world? That that is illogical. Why could we think that we should be able to to measure them in this kind of way? This is why, why Christians don't need to be afraid of science. But also we need to understand that science and faith are are trying to address different things. And as we can understand this based on the transcendence of God, I'm telling you, one of the things that's going to happen, it's like putting glasses on and you begin to see things a bit more clearly. Now we've covered four words. We're going to do 31 verses. So we need to pick up our pace a little bit. So let's go to Genesis uh, chapter one. And we're going to read the whole chapter here. Just listen to this great great, uh, chapter telling us about the, the beginning of all things. So here's how it goes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, and I want you to notice here that we just saw this image of Trinity, three in one. Um, The father, God creating, the spirit hovering, the word of God, Christ coming forth. And we see this in Genesis one, this first echo of the Trinity. So God said, verse three, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the waters above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees of the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. 
And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky and to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly over the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing which holds the, which hold, everything which with water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and everything um, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters of the earth and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the seas and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and over the and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. And they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. That was a lot there, but I wanted you to see this because this is one of the most beautiful and important chapters that we have um, in the entire Bible. Now, like I said earlier, um, it's easy to get lost in the science and the faith debate that happens here. And so people try to jump into like dissecting this according to Darwinian theory. But but honestly, I, I don't find that debate helpful. And, and one of the reasons is because I don't think, it's my own personal opinion, but I don't think that Genesis 1 is all that concerned with things like Charles Darwin and modern scientific theory. In fact, sometimes I think that when we get lost in that debate, we begin to lose sight of the bigger picture when Genesis chapter 1 is trying to tell us something that is so much, so much more important than how to understand science. And so today what I want us to do is really understand this bigger picture because when you get it, I'm telling you, it's like wearing glasses where all of a sudden you can see with clarity. So to catch this, it's really helpful to understand. And I wanted to read the whole chapter to you so you could hear it. Some of the incredible details that you have um, in Genesis chapter one, because we start off with this great statement about how God is transcendent. In the beginning, God. God was before all things. God is greater than all things, nothing beyond God. He is the end of reality. He is the greatest thing that there ever is, was, or will be. 
And then this incredible thing happens, though, where God becomes knowable. So he's not just transcendent, but he's also knowable. And you get this picture so clearly when you think about the details of what we just read. I mean, think about some of the things we just read. Um, First of all, did you catch the symmetry that was in this? The heavens and the earth. You have the the sky and the sea and the water above and the water below. You have the the night and the day, the evening and the morning. You have this this man and woman. It's just like there's this incredible symmetry of these these parts that are complementary to one another that you see um, in Genesis chapter one. And then there's all this interesting repetition that we heard just over and over and over again in this chapter. You read things like God said and God saw evening and morning, just this repetition that we saw. Uh, we, we saw uh, the, the words that were used in, in incredibly interesting ways. The word um, create in the Hebrew is the word bara. It was used three times in that chapter. And of course, numbers in the Bible are always very, very important. In the first verse, um, in the original Hebrew, there are seven words. Of course there are, because this is such a purposeful, purposeful chapter. You have this phrase, it was so. It was also used seven times. God saw, you got that, seven times. God doesn't just create, but he makes, quote, according to their kind. He does that uh, 10 times, which is seven plus three. Uh, 10 times you read this line that God said. Uh, three of those times in relationship to people, seven of those times in relationship to other, all, uh, other creation. 10 times there's this let there be, and uh, three of those are about the earth, and seven of those are about the heavens or the sky. And so You start to piece these things together and you see the beauty of this chapter, the repetition, the symmetry, the the way that it's structured. And you realize that the big point of Genesis chapter one is not this debate about modern science, but it's really teaching us this incredibly crucial truth that creation is not an accident. Creation didn't just happen. But rather, creation comes about by the will and purpose of God. That is a crucial truth that we need to put our glasses on to to see. When we do, we're going to see more clearly that creation did not happen accidentally. It, It is coming about by the will of God. And this is so, so, so crucial. You see, there are lots and lots and lots of people who look at the world They look at themselves and they think that we are here on accident. That there was some sort of maybe um, chain of events that that led to this. There was a singular event about 14 billion years ago. Uh, Some people call it a big bang and it let off all this energy that somehow also became matter. And slowly over billions of years, galaxies formed, solar systems formed, planets formed, and eventually life happened. And so we're here simply as kind of the peak of the evolutionary ladder. We're just kind of accidentally here. Humans don't really have purpose or meaning. We're just kind of here. And that's, that's um, we're going to explore that a lot more next week as we talk about the image of God. But, but there are lo- lots and lots and lots of people who see life and see the world through that lens that we're just here accidentally. Yet as Christians, like our basic claim, like the floor of our claims is that this transcendent God, he created all things with purpose. We're not here as an evolutionary accident. We are here, everything is here by the will and purpose of God. You are here by the will and purpose of God. 
And some of you need to hear that. You're not an accident. You are here by the will and purpose of God. One of the ways you really see this clearly in Genesis chapter 1 is that there was this word that God kept using every time he made something. Everything that God made in creation, God would describe it just over and over and over again with this really key word because when he looked at all that he had made, how he described it is he said that it was good. The Hebrew word for that is is tov. That is full of goodness. So not only does God create with purpose, he creates that which is fundamentally good. And this tov, this goodness, it is, it is another key part to how Christians understand the world that when God creates, he creates a good world. This is the world that he's made and it is good. And I, and I think about these, these moments in life where, where you're just struck by the goodness of, of creation, of, of you see Tov like right in front of you. There are these moments in life where you're just, you come face to face with that reality. I think about this like, like uh, when, when I was married, uh, Abby and I are gonna be married 20 years this year. And I remember th- this moment in time where she's walking down the aisle of the church on her dad's arm. And I remember being struck by this moment. I remember it so clearly, like there was just this moment. And it was so good. Or I think about the, the times we brought our kids home. We have three daughters, and each time we brought them home from the, from the hospital, like I remember we would just watch them in the crib for hours as they slept, just struck by the amazing moment that was here. It was just good. It was tove. Or I think about these moments in nature. You get outside and you see sunsets. You go to the mountains. You see the ocean and the vastness of it, and you're, and you're just struck by the beauty of the earth. Like, this is good. It is it is, it is tov. Now that feeling you have when you experience that goodness, that tov, we have a word for that feeling. We call that word, we, we, we call that feeling, we call it wonder. Or some people might, might call it awe. It's just when you feel overwhelmed by this, this spectacular goodness that you see around us. It's beyond explanation. It's beyond understanding. It's just, it's just you're struck. You're struck by that goodness. So what do you do in life when you find yourself face-to-face with this goodness, this tov? Well, what you do with that is going to be dependent upon your worldview. You see, you could um, have these moments in life where you see this goodness right in front of you, you're filled with wonder, and you just kind of dismiss it because everything here is simply an accident. Or it could be that when you come face to face with these moments of, of tove, of goodness, that what you do is you pause, you stop, and you give thanks. You, you've led to wonder, to worship, to understand that this tove, this goodness, it doesn't come from nowhere, but rather there's something, or rather there's someone who is behind it. Because that's one of the things the Bible teaches us is that this goodness that we find in the world around us, it's not here on accident, but rather it's a reflection of the one who is ultimately good, ultimately tov. Because this is what the Bible teaches us, that God himself, he is good. I think about some of the things we read in the Psalms, for instance. Uh, Psalm 20, 25 says this, good or tov and upright is the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good, that he is tov. 
Psalm 86, verse 5, you, Lord, are forgiving and good. Tov, you are, you are abounding in love to all who call to, call to you. Psalm 107, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is Tov, he is good, his love endures forever. The Bible scholar N.T. Wright, he teaches that there are these signposts in life. That's his word, these signposts that uh, are pointing us to the evidence of God all around us. And these signposts are things like our pursuit of truth or justice or beauty. And so N.T. Wright says this. He says, The Christian tradition has said, and indeed sung, that the glory belongs to God the Creator. It is His voice we hear echoing off the crags, murmuring in the sunset. It is His power we feel in the crashing of the waves and the roar of the lion. It is His beauty we see reflected in a thousand faces and forms. You see, this world, this universe, it has the glory of God baked into it, which is why when, when, when God looks at this world, He looks at all that He has made, what He says of it is, it is good because it's reflecting Him. The wonder, the awe that we feel, this is a, a call of the beauty and the goodness that doesn't just exist in nature, but as a reflection, as the thumbprints, the fingerprints of God himself revealing himself to us. And so what do you do with this? When you're struck by wonder and you feel awe, you understand the beauty, the glory of the earth, what do you do with this? Well, if you believe that we're here just simply on accident, I guess you just dismiss it, you take it for granted, you set it aside as some sort of evolutionary accident, or you pause, and you give thanks, you give worship and glory and honor to the one who's made it. Because what he is doing is he's revealing himself to us. His goodness, his glory, his, his presence is, is shown to us. And so we give glory to the one who made us and called us and all that he made, he called it good. And so today, um, I wanna invite you to put on some glasses and to see some truth through the lens that brings clarity. To see this world in a, in a, in a way that's beyond skepticism and cynicism, but, but can understand the, the goodness of God as it is being revealed to us. He created us, He created everything with purpose. We are here because the transcendent God wanted a relationship with us and He's showing Himself to us, revealing Himself in all of the wonder that we see in the world around us. And so today, I wanna to invite you to pause and to give thanks to the one who is beyond all things, to the one who is greater than everything, the one who exists outside of space and time and yet made everything, including you, with purpose and calls it good. Let's pray together. So Father, today we um, hear these words from Genesis. We are struck by understanding, by seeing the goodness of God around us. There are some of us, when we look at the world, we don't see goodness. We've, we've got our own pain that we're wrestling with. But as we begin to see maybe beyond ourselves, we can see that there is this goodness baked into creation, the glory of God that's being revealed to us. Would you soften our hearts that, that we don't just move past these things, dismissing them as in irrelevant or moving past them, but, but rather, Lord, may we come to an understanding that you are so good and you give yourself for us and you've made us for purpose. You've made us by your will and you desire us 
And so, Lord, today we want to walk towards you. We want to give thanks for the wonder, the glory, the goodness of God that we see all around us. Would you give us eyes to see your goodness expressed all around us? We ultimately, of course, see this as you give your gift of your son to us, as you reveal yourself to us and you offer us life eternal in you. And so, Lord, for anyone who doesn't know the the, the goodness of God, the presence of God in their life, the gift of Jesus. We just want to pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? Father, we thank you that you are fundamentally good. You are trustworthy and we can walk towards you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today for worship. We want to thank all of those who were involved in making this service possible our creative team, our musicians, and we especially want to thank Pastor Spencer for his meaningful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this message, we invite you to share it on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now we hope you have a great week and we'll see you back here next week for week two of our sermon series, Why the World is the Way It Is. Thanks for being here.
busy world. 